Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Geopolitical Pico. From the dawn of time, people have seen themselves connected with land, language and religion. And today's story is one of brotherhood across borders. In the year 1254 of our age, the Pope Innocent IV wrote to the mighty city of Prague to ask him premisly, Otakar II, for help in fighting the Prussian pagans in the north. The king gratefully accepted the proposal and alongside a fort of 6,000 brave men went to what was later called the First Northern Crusade and the First Czech Crusade. In the Battle of Rudava, King Otakar defeated the pagans and became the legend that he is today. The soldiers that accompanied him in this brave task were so impressed by the bravery of the Czech that his honor found, in his honor they founded the city of Kralovic, which means King's Land at the source of the Baltic Sea. Time went by and many kingdoms, empires and later states wanted to control the Pearl of the Baltic, and indeed, they actually did. However, even after changing the name of the city, after trying to erase their past, they could never win the hearts and the minds of the people in Kralovets. Today, that feeling is stronger than ever, and the motherland is willing to listen to her sons and daughters separated physically, but united spiritually, to be, once more, together. Let me introduce you to the territory of Kralovets. It is a rich land in a strategic position, with more than half a million people living in the city and one, more than one million living in the territory. After World War II, this land was given to the Soviet Union, who later incorporated it to Russia. Nowadays, it is an exclave of a latter, with no physical connection to Moscow and suffering from an authoritarian regime. And today to talk about it, we are going to have Bohumil Dobos. He is a professor in geopolitics and an expert in the situation in Kralovets, and we would like to know what... Will the Czech Republic do with West Territory? Thank you very much for being here, Bohum. Thank you for inviting me. It's pretty nice to have you. I will also, obviously, as always, I'll have my colleague Ronan Worsworld with me. How are you? Very good, very good. We're speaking with royalty here. The... Speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be an interesting talk because uh, some two months ago, we woke up with the news that there had been a referendum held to re-annex Kralovets, the territory of Kralovets, nowadays known as Kaliningrad, to the Czech Republic, with an outstanding 96% of approval, the territory decided that they wanted to join the Czech Republic. So now we're going to start understanding a little bit how can this work? How can the Czech Republic actually introduce, annex back uh, the territory of Kralovets? And for that, I want to start, Bohumil, asking you a little bit, what can the referendum do? Does this give the legitimacy for, for, for the Czech Republic to then claim back Kralovets? Definitely. Like, we believe that the referendum was held fair and square, given the standards of the independence referendum in Europe uh, in the past 10 years. This was actually meeting all of the criteria. There were some people that were casting the votes, some people who counted them. Majority of the people casting the votes never stepped into Kaliningrad or Kralovets, which is basically a standard that we can see around Europe. So from our point of view, this is fully legitimate and we have a full claim over, over, the, over the exclave. And how will the Czech Republic claim the land in an international matter? Would it have to be approved by the United Nations, for example, or it would be something that with the neighbors' approval it could be done? I believe that the neighbors' approval is enough. It's more than other similar annexations had in the past 10 years. Actually, the initiative started in Poland, so we feel a strong support from Poland. The Baltic countries have also recognized the claim, and we feel that this is enough for the international community to accept the Czech claim over the territory and our legitimate right to be recognized as a sovereign over it. That is really, really interesting. And how, because nowadays, as, I, as we explained it in the introduction, 
Uh, there's been a lot of history going through the territory of Kralovets in the last in the last centuries, and there's been a mix of languages in there. For example, how would the Czech Republic regain that language sort of not control but uh, association association with the, with the territory with the territory? I believe first of all, people would be happy not to use the like Russian name Kaliningrad. If you know who Kalinin was, he was basically a mass murderer. So it's always better to be called after a king than after a mass murderer. And we believe that the people of Kaliningrad or currently Kralovets won't be having much trouble to meet the language criteria of majority of the Czech internet, meaning that they would be incorporated into our language like domain quite easily. And if they had any troubles, of course, we can provide the interpreters and interpreters and. That is pretty interesting. How do you think that could happen, Ron? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, Kaliningrad needs to be incorporated into the schooling system of Czech Republic. I think they should immediately sort of be adopting the Czech syllabus so that children start learning a proper education from EU standards. And then from that, pro from that process, people will understand the history behind the region and go back to their fathers of the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. What about you? You see I mean, it differently. I see it. I see it as a great task to be accomplished by a great country as the Czech Republic is, and obviously with the support behind, as we are saying, Poland was already agreeing with this with this issue, so it would make the connection between the exclave and the motherland much closer and much easier for for Prague to 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 control. And I want to dive actually a little bit into that connection. How could the Czech Republic, because you became actually famous because of writing on uh, on how could the Czech Republic be connected with with Kralovets. and the I would like to the practicalities of the practicalities of a little bit in like how could they integrate how proper, could they integrate Kralovets in the in as the territory? exclave. I mean, it's physically separated from Czech Republic, but managing the exclave, how would that be done, and how could it be reincorporated? Yeah, it's 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 pretty obvious that we need to keep good relations with Poland because this would be crucial. We have seen what happened between Russia and Lithuania and we basically uh, developed an agreement that the Polish has withdrawn the original claim on half of the territory and in return we promised that we won't invade the country in order to create a corridor that would connect our territory with our right for exclave. This is basically something that was already proposed the other way around in 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 the end of by the end of the first world war when there was supposed to be a corridor southwards to the adriatic sea nowadays we don't really want to mess with former yugoslavia so we had north instead and we believe that we can find some form of arrangement with the polish that it would protect some corridor that would allow us not only to transport good population etc but also to build our famous beer stream one that is to be constructed in the next year in order to supply the territory to communicate with it Kalovets has a working airport, which also allows us to transport the goods through the Polish or German territory and over the Baltic Sea, which is something that we feel pretty confident about, given the fact that inside the EU, it's basically impossible to stop the air travel. So as long as the EU is in operation, I believe that our ability to communicate with the, with the enclave is quite, quite good. Also, our, our Baltic friends are promising to help us with the management of the territory, which is very, very important. You were mentioning the beer, the beer stream one, which is really interesting project to be to be checking in the future. It won't have troubles to be under the sea, for example. 
And I would like, because that's a benefit that Kralovets will have. And in that sense, what could Kralovets also benefit? I think already having a beer stream, it would be something inter- really interesting for the region. I would maybe even shift their their drinking consumption into something more that they would relate more with their history. What other benefits do you think that Kralovets maybe may receive by joining by rejoining uh, the Czech Republic? So yeah, obviously you are joining a liberal democratic country with all of the freedoms, which is something that we feel quite strongly will be a benefit for the for the territory. The territory will be joining the EU with all of the economic benefits. It will get fully integrated into the Baltic economy, which is something that is not currently possible. Currently, basically, the the exclave is cut off from everyone around, which is making it poor. It's one of the worst stricken regions with the HIV epidemics in the whole of the continent, etc. So all of the economic benefits, civil liberties, etc. will be there, and we feel quite strongly about it. Plus, of course, the incorporation into the beer infrastructure is is important, which should theoretically also help the Baltic countries with their own domestic beer consumption. That is really, really interesting. So it would not just be good for the for Kralovets, but also for the region. It'll be mutually beneficial, I think, because also Czech Republic is obviously a landlocked country. It'll regain its access to the sea, which it should rightfully have from for the last eight centuries. And because of that, it can become a naval power. We have a base in the Baltic Sea. Um, and then mutually, as we said, the education standards will go up in the region of Kralovets and... The living standards, as you said, there's health issues. They're obviously cut off from their annexed region of Russia. They, they can't, they can't uh, express their wills as people. They've got an authoritarian leader right now. And so, I mean, they benefit, Czech benefits. It's a win-win. The region benefits. Poland now has a safe neighbor on their border, as do the Baltic states, Lithuania. And, and even we, could see, we could see even a return of the... Of the... A utter of the um, out in the the mythical Hanseatic League. Also, the Baltic Sea will be an internal sea of the European Union, so commerce could flourish, uh, um, exchange could flourish within the region, and that could also benefit the Kralovets and the Czech Republic yeah. because of that uh, trade. And from our point of view, it's really forward-looking because historically we were more focused on getting access to the Adriatic Sea, but due to the climate change, this is turning into a desert. So looking to the north is actually a really forward-looking policy to adapt to the impacts of the climate change as well. What uh, what technical difficulties do you two see in managing the ex- exclave? Obviously, it's away from Czech Republic. Like to set it up, do you see any technical issues early on that can be ironed out? Yeah, we will probably need to set some administrative stuff into the territory just to incorporate it properly into our legal legal regime. We would probably need to give it some special status, as currently the Czech Republic is a unitary state, which obviously doesn't really work well with the exclaves, but I believe that the Czech uh, government and the Czech people are more than willing to provide uh, Kralovets with some form of autonomy so that the territory will feel that it's properly represented in our system. And I feel that the biggest problem might be, the biggest challenge might be the education, actually. Already the Charles University started to cooperate with the local university in Kralovets town, which should start some Czech programs next academic year. It, of course, takes some time to set it up. However, it will be quite hard to find enough teachers for lower levels of education, but I feel quite confident that Czech spirit will prevail. 
And I would like to ask you a little bit, because um, we mentioned before the, the referendum that took place the 10th of October. It's a 96% of, of approval. However, there's a 4% of, of not. How would the Czech Republic deal with that? It's actually not minority against the annexation. It was the part of the population that's illiterate and they didn't manage to properly uh-huh. fill in the data into the into the into the ballot. So yeah, we, we felt quite confident we have like ninety nine point ninety seven approval rate, but part of the population were unfit at this point to fill the ballot correctly, but we feel that with further education we would uh, get to the numbers that we anticipate. I mean this looks like a like a plan without any without any bridge. I don't know what you think about it, Ronald. No, I think it's fantastic. I think we can see the legitimacy of the claim. We can see the will of the people being clearly expressed in their desire to be part of the Czech Republic. We see the benefits to both territories. And really, it's about going back to the history. The people there really feel like they belong to the Czech Republic. And so it's the Czech's duty to basically take back that region from the occupiers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay. These have been some few minutes of why Kralovets should be part of the Czech Republic. It may sound crazy. It may have sound super crazy. To me, it sounded really fair. I think we a gave a good account of it. <laughs> but what we wanted to you, for you to understand is how these historical claims over some territories actually come to place. You just need to give certain answers to certain questions that can be answered in a conversation, but that then when put into practice, they may actually be really difficult or make no sense because the reality is that the people in Kralovets or how nowadays it's called is Kaliningrad, they are Russian and they speak Russian. And for the it's been a territory that in the beginning of the century in the beginning of the 20th century was part of the German Empire. Later on it was part of the Soviet Union. Now it's an exclave of Russia and it's the only access of Russia to the Baltic Sea, actually. Uh, no, I'm yeah, wrong. There is also like St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. Well, sorry, yeah. yeah, St. Petersburg. Yeah, but it would be because St. Petersburg is uh, St. Petersburg is uh, comprised between Finland and Estonia, so it could be easily close. Whereas Kaliningrad is a little bit more. And it's warm. Yeah, yeah. Warm port. And our point here is that well, there was a referendum, <laughs> a referendum, and I'm making some. That you obviously can't see. But this is basically what we're... The situation in the Russian-occupied territories of Ukraine, which they've claimed that those four oblasts have legitimate referendums when the people were obviously under occupation. And they actually weren't even like in Kherson. You didn't control even the time of Kherson after five days after you ended the (laughs) referendum, which is fucking ridiculous. You didn't have control over majority of Zaporozhna and Kherson region. And every single oblast that was annexed by Russia was had areas which were still Ukrainian controlled. And so there was not a single one of the four regions which Russia had fully occupied Mm -hmm. in their invasion. So Mm -hmm. the ridiculousness of the annexation claims is basically what we're trying to put forward here because it would it was just as ridiculous then as it would be for Czech Republic to annex uh, Kralovets. Even if the beer stream one would be a wonderful idea that I think it should be exported Delivering. to the rest of the European Union. Exactly. We can then deliver Pilsner called Golden Nectar to the rest of the Union. <laughs> <laughs> 
that yeah, I mean, this is this was our idea, and we want to also talk to you a little bit about how this actually came into place. This was something that was brought up by Poland uh, initially. It was some recurrent meme in the, in uh, like Polish uh, Twitter, yeah, Twitter and and matters of the of the like, and that when the uh, again I'm making how do you air quotes who say <laughs> air quotes air quoting here. Uh, when the air quotes referendums took place in in the occupied regions of Ukraine, basically that's how we saw it. Like how it, we want to know, we want to explain to you also how it started. I mean, this started as a so to say popular meme that developed into even um, the case of Kralovets last Kaliningrad developed into some into some trend where. People were posting online. How could it be done? Here we have Professor Bohumil Dobos. He's a professor of geopolitics in Charles University. And he made this thread online on like how to manage exclave, which became rapidly trendy. How would the situation be? How would Poland accept it? But it was not just created by people. I mean, there were governmental um, officers that were actually the Czech po- Foreign Ministry, the I Czech think. Foreign Ministry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the police. I think it was the Police Foreign Ministry also put it, or if not, it was some also agency, like official agency from, from the, the Baltics. Is- mm, the Baltics. <laughs> it's like so. It's, all the neighbors of Kaliningrad exactly, basically all the neighbors agreed to the agreed to them. Yeah, but. <laughs> Which is also something interesting. Uh, it's a little bit off topic, but uh, Kaliningrad is not in the coast, like it's in the it's in the it's in the enter of the of the river in itself, the city in itself. Like there's some two lakes protecting the city, but even with this, I mean, it doesn't matter because if you make it, if you make this story just being followed by enough people, use the right arguments, even if they are fake. You may actually convince someone that this has to happen. And it was actually quite swift because there was this one anonymous Polish Twitter profile that actually started up with the original Polish claims that were later later, like revisited. And this was basically just retweeted by one popular Czech member of parliament, of European parliament, who is very active on Twitter. And it caught off like very, very quickly through, through the Twitter space. And at that point, you have numerous... Uh, accounts that are just dealing with either management, administration of the enclave, exclave, you deal with the management of the Czech uh, naval forces with the Kegelgut uh, plane carrier and stuff like that. Even the Czech uh, like space program that should be set up in Kaliningrad, which, however, I disapprove of because it's a very stupid place where to put spaceport for physical it's, reasons. It's, yeah, but yeah, it's the best place if you want to build it on a Czech territory, but still, I would not be really fond of that. But yeah. This, this is something that really trended a lot. Uh, there was a huge of huge amount of different articles written about it. And actually, what was the best thing was that at the beginning, uh, some of the Russian propaganda channels took it seriously, which was probably the best thing ever <laughs> because they started to accuse Czech Republic and Poland from attempting to uh, for plotting, yeah, from plotting to invade the territory, <laughs> stuff like that. And it actually resonated from as far as i know it resonated in the russian space for a couple of days because before someone realized that it's it's actually stupid (laughs) i mean obviously here we've been having a joke and we're not really serious about czech republic annexing kaliningrad but yeah yeah. (laughs) i still think that the beer stream won exactly exactly but it just goes to show like how ridiculous it is in the current international system for any country to be 
occupying another territory and trying to claim it that it's their own based on uh, ridiculous historical claims. Yes, because I mean, we know that you can have. I mean, as states are as states are created, as states are now. Obviously, there's historical claims over their own territories and so on. But when those historical claims clash with the reality of a sovereign territory nowadays, what we come is with a with, with a massive problem because the people in those territories are not part of the other territory. There's this is really complicated. Mm-hmm. It is complicated. I'm not gonna say that it's not. Uh, you have claims all over, mm-hmm. but nowadays there are several occupied territories in the world, not just the not just the south east and south of Ukraine. And these claims on historical basis and cultural basis are made every 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 other day. I mean, by by many states, and it's you might have seen the incident recently with uh, Viktor Orban having this large Hungary scarf that's, and, yeah, for a football match. And this is something that is actually kind of really threatening for the EU because you have a revisionist state inside of the of the mm-hmm. of the of its borders, with, for example, Slovakians, Romanians not very keenly taking on this issue. And basically, the claim is hundred years old, and like doesn't really make much sense because, yeah, obviously, the Hungarian Kingdom may was present in in Slovakia, but yeah. But it's, the state it's systems a, evolved so much the since that time. Like it was completely underdeveloped territory under Hungarians, and it actually started to develop only after getting independence as a part of Czechoslovakia. Even that parts of Slovakians don't see it really as an independence, but still, it at least started to develop. Uh, you have the same with Morocco and Western Sahara. When Western Sahara, according to the historical like experiences, was never really a properly part of Morocco to start with. However, still the Moroccans will use the historical claim, even though there is as much historical connection between Western Sahara and Morocco that there is between the Czech Republic and Kalavet. So And Somaliland and Somalia is another great example. Yeah, there was never a, there was never a state like to No, begin there was with. never a state, but it was occupied by different forces during colonization and they're completely separately run states now almost. Like Somaliland's much more yeah. uh, functional state than This is also very interesting regarding history because if you want to set up a new state in Africa, you need to build build it in the former colonial borders, which is what Somaliland trying to do. However, on the east of the country, you have these territories that are more connected through the t- clan linkages and other linkages to Puntland, and there are like conflicts over the region simply because Somaliland needs to keep their claim on it because otherwise it loses its historical claim to statehood. While Puntland says this is skewed, this is ridiculous because. This is this territory is logically connected to Puntland with every other ties, which is not really being disputed. However, Somaliland wants to become recognized, it needs to be in the in these historical borders. So once again, issue of history is repeated, but in very different, very different contexts. Yeah. Well, with this, what we want to we want to leave you with a, to leave you with a reflection that I don't know if my colleagues will agree, but I would likely <laughs> we'll uh, disagree see. with you, yeah. which is if you're receiving this information. Not this information. This kind of information. <laughs> Sorry, I mean. Sorry, he's very clear about what it means. Yes, yes. Not this information, but this kind of information. Not this information, but this kind of inf- misinformation. This. Okay, I think it's understood already by anyone that's listening. What What we wanted to to show with this is how can you end up manipulating a reality of a of a territory? How can you end up manipulating the reality by giving easy answers that can be put in the paper but then when they put in they, when they're put in practice they just make no sense 
for the population that are in the territory, for the culture, even for the historical reason that of the last some decades, some hundred years, the territories have been together or separate. And this is something that we want to encourage you all who are listening to whenever you encounter this information, contrast it, even talk to people of the region, even, I don't know, try to understand it better because the reality might not be that the one that they are telling the the state that is trying to control the other territory. I don't know if this is something that you share, guys. I think, I mean, any information you get, you should be somewhat critical of and understand the source of the information and the inherent biases that they have surrounding the situation. I think it's almost impossible to get information that doesn't have bias. I mean, even even the three of us have our own biases based on what we believe. So I think whatever information you have, you should look at with a critical eye. And I think that's like a, a good lesson just for, for life, not even just in geopolitics, but about everything. Yeah, I would just add to what Godfrey said quite correctly from my point of view is that you, if you want to understand these complicated situations, of course, you need to look into history, but the history is not, is not determining. And if someone tells you that something needs to happen because of some historical reasons, they are basically trying to push some narrative, narrative <laughs> yeah, that suits them. Like, history is important. It's a huge factor, but it's never determining exactly. for the future. Exactly. What determines the future is what happening, what's happening now. So having some claims that are laying back in 100 years ago, something someone said 30 years ago, something like that, is usually just a cherry-picking stuff just to promote your current exactly. political agenda. And if you want to know, like, in my opinion, one last thing is that history changes. I mean, that is literally why we study history, because it's a constant process of changes. So, yeah. Just take your information with a grain of salt. Try to speak. I mean, don't you still have to believe something, but you know, just when you get information, just process it from a perspective where you're acknowledging the biases that the person might have. Mm. There's obviously some facts which are true, and yeah, we just work from there. It's great that we have a native speaker who can formulate it cleverly. (laughs) Thank you very much, because I was struggling a little bit (laughs) too early today. Usually, we're recording the evening. Okay, well. With this, we will say goodbye for today. Thank you very much. And we will be here again in the next week with more. Well, the next Get in week, touch as well. Know. Get in touch. If Get you... in touch with us. Everything. Thanks, Bohemil, for being Thank here. Thank you for having me. As always. And we will be back with more geopolitical people. Thank you very much. Ciao. The Geopolitical Pico is created by Ronan Wordsworth and Juan Francisco Muñoz. Two geopolitical studies postgrads from Charles University in Prague, Czech Republic. Follow us on Instagram at the Geopolitical Pico or Twitter at the Geopico for more content, and follow us on every podcast platform.